Well, last month marked 11 years since the beginning of the revolution in Syria to end decades of rule by the Assad family and the violent crackdown, civil war, and refugee crisis that ensued. The plight of those caught up in the conflict is the subject of a documentary called Batata, or Potato, uh, set to debut this weekend at the Hot Docs Festival in Toronto. Here's a snippet. The Free Syrian Army say government forces backed by Hezbollah fighters have taken control of the town close to the Lebanese border. As the war continues, the number of refugees increases, straining already tight resources in neighboring countries like Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, and Iraq. There's almost nothing conventional about the war in Syria. That is a bit of the trailer of Batata, which will uh, be shown at the Hot Dogs Festival in Toronto over the weekend. It is the work of Toronto-based Lebanese-Syrian filmmaker Nura Kavorkian, who set out in 2009 to document the lives of Syrian farmers working on a potato farm in Lebanon's Bekaa Valley, including Maria, uh, the central character, and which winds up telling the story of families, communities, an entire country really thrown into the turmoil of a conflict that we've watched from around the world now for more than a decade. And joining me now is Nora Kevorkian. Congratulations on the film and thank you for being here tonight. Thank you, Ben. Glad to be here. You know, it, it's it's amazing when you watch how a documentary comes together. And I realized what you sort of set out to do, this was a, a, an area that's very close to your heart, very close to your family. Um, tell me a bit about the inspiration for the 2009 documentary that you set out to make. Um, I always wanted to make a documentary um, to delve into the topic of the tension, uh, like uh, and dislike between the two Arab nations that I call home, Lebanon and Syria, two Arab countries that are bordering and they have a common history, language, but they kind of don't get along. Um, I felt this tension growing up in Lebanon, uh, especially during the Lebanese Civil War, through the politics. And I also felt it because I'm very close to both countries. Uh, my mom is Syrian. I was born in Syria. My dad is Lebanese. And we had relatives and people coming. So I wanted to discuss this topic, but in a way that was not very political. So when I met Maria, this vibrant, charismatic Syrian woman who came every year from Syria with her entire family to work in the fields of Lebanon for a Lebanese Christian landowner. It was just a perfect setting. So that's how Batata started in 2009. It is. I mean, I've watched the trailer. I mean, it is, it is, Maria is a vibrant character and it is that, that idea that, that her, uh, that Musa, uh, the farm owner, um, who's a Lebanese Christian, uh, as well, gets along so well with this family. And you sort of really showed that the humanity that exists as well as as the the divisions that have existed over the years i gather that all of a sudden everything changes in 2011 with the revolution the story you set out to tell uh becomes something much different than i imagine you would have you would have anticipated how did how did you how did you live through that 
Um, it was surprising to us all when the revolution started, but because living in the Middle East, all of us were used to problems. We kind of assumed that it was going to end within five, six months, because in the past, Syria had always crushed revolutionaries. So we thought, this is it. But when 2012 happened and actually turned to full-on civil war, uh, I knew that this was something different. And by that time, I'd already spent uh, a long, several years uh, investing my time and getting to know all these characters and have relationships with them. I had invested a lot that I wasn't able to stop filming. And I thought this would be an interesting film to continue and see what will happen next. But I never imagined it was going to be 10 years. And like right now we're in the 13th year of the film. It's, you know, from 2009. Yes, I filmed them for 10 years, but then there was the post-production editing and all that. So I never, ever imagined that this would happen. And then it goes from being a civil war. And then I, I gather Maria's from Raqqa. So then, then it becomes a story about ISIS as well, the ongoing civil war. And then, then, and then the refugee. I mean, it, it is an incredible telling of a story that we've all watched happen from afar through the eyes of one group of people. And it, it must have been, how did you, I mean, all these different chapters that happened, how did you manage to sort of weave them into this story? Because so much happened in the last decade in Syria. Exactly. Because it was such a long period of time, uh, it was a very big challenge for me to decide what story to follow, who to follow. There were so many people that I cared for because I was based, I was there on the ground um, meeting all these people who were escaping Syria and coming to Lebanon, the main character and her uh, uncles and aunts. And I witnessed everything from the beginning being on the ground. Um, it was hard to decide who not, whose story not to include. And that was the big challenge for me. Um, so I tried to weave a story together that was very real, very objective, very humane. And I tried to put everything that could happen that happened in 10 years in a way that would be exciting for the audiences to watch. And so it wouldn't be just a story of sad story after sad story. So I, there's a lot of wed, there's weddings in it, births, life, you know, uh, everything that happens in decade. It's a piece of life that everyone feels. So um, initially, the film that I caught as an editor uh, ended up to be four hours long because I was so attached to my characters, I didn't want to cut out anyone's life out of the story. And then we brought in an editor to help me bring it down to two hours because I just was so attached to every frame. I think anyone who's ever done anything and nothing, I've never done anything to the scale and the time that you've done, we're all so attached to the stories of the people we meet because we feel like we owe them something because we're telling exactly. um, their tale. Um, exactly. Yeah. What was it like just for the people that you had met because their lives changed so fundamentally. You st it starts off as a story about migrant farmers sort of coming from Syria into Lebanon each summer, sort of a ritual almost to do this work. And then all of a sudden everything just falls apart. Uh, what was it like for the people who you featured? What was it, what were their lives like and how did you manage to stay in touch? How did you manage to go back to them each year? Um, 
I think, you know, the only way this film was going to be made is with just pure, pure determination and so much love. Because it was very challenging for me to leave behind my young family, my children. In fact, my, my daughter was eight weeks old when I started this journey. So to leave them here uh, a year in, year out, and go two, three times a year, two, three months every time to spend there in, yeah, in the camp, I felt that I had two lives and uh, I had two families, my family in Canada and then all these refugees that I cared for. And over time, we experienced everything together. Uh, Even though I was capturing everything on the camera behind the lens, I was kind of absorbing their lives like a sponge, their, their trauma, their difficulties. So it was a journey for us together, all of us. And, um, you know, I still keep in touch with them. I speak with Maria, her parents, her brothers, everyone in the camp. I keep in touch, and we and I know what's happening there. Yes, the film is finally finished. It's touring the festivals around the world, uh, and I'm so excited about Hot Dogs. Uh, but for me, the journey is not finished because I still know what's going on. <laughs> I'm so attached to them. It must have been, yeah, it must have been so difficult to come, I mean, to be both those people, to be the documentary maker living in the middle of all these upheavals happening a world away and then to come back to Toronto and and have your family and and just try to balance those two lives. Exactly. See, I wasn't, because it started as a film about one thing and changed to another, I wasn't prepared emotionally and psychologically to deal with all the challenges and the traumas that that occurred over the years. And I suffered from a lot of guilt, uh, being able for guilt because I did exactly that. I stayed with them, I experienced their lives, but then I left. I came to Canada and I had a family. I had all the great luxuries we have here that we take for granted, like running water, hot water, you know, we have toilets, you know, it's so different than the camp where, you know, it's muddy, it's cold, the open sewage, all that. So I was feeling guilty that I could leave and that really ate away at me. And uh, I'm still kind of recovering from all that emotional and and difficult space that I went through. I'm speaking with Nora Kevorkian, uh, a Lebanese Syrian filmmaker in Toronto, Toronto-based, about her film Batata, which really is a 12-year odyssey through, uh, or a 10-year odyssey, really, through the lives of, that begins as a film about about a group of Syrian migrant workers who go to Lebanon each year to farm, and then really becomes a, a whole chronology of all that happened in Syria over the past decade. After this, uh, we'll talk a bit about, you wrote an, op- an op-ed for the Globe and Mail talking about how you want your film to remind people not to forget about the Maria's and her community and all those who've had to flee Syria um, in the last decade. And we'll get to that right after this. I'm speaking with Toronto-based Lebanese-Syrian filmmaker Nura Kevorkian about her film Batata, which uh, started out as a film about uh, migrant workers from Syria working in Lebanon uh, and, and then became a story really about all that's happened to Syria and Syrians over the last 10 years through uh, both a revolution, then a civil war, um, then a, re- then a refugee crisis and, and continues to this day. I was thinking during the break, Nora, that, that your daughter was eight months old when you started. She's a teenager now. <laughs> that's she? right. We will celebrate her 13th birthday soon. <laughs> oh, congratulations. What, what does your family think of this? I mean, they, 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 they in some ways sacrificed you to this incredible project. Uh, what do they think of the finished product? 
Um, well, my children haven't seen the film yet, and we are right. all excited that uh, they're going to see it in two days at Hot Dogs. Right. So everyone's looking forward for that. <laughs> That'll be great. Um, yeah. You wrote an interesting op-ed in the Globe and Mail recently talking a bit about what you would like people to, to take from your film, not just the story itself, but also a reminder of what's happened and what continues to happen. You mentioned earlier that Maria, I, I gather, is still in a refugee camp uh, in, in Lebanon. What would you like people to know about? What would you like people to take away from this beyond just the story of of this woman and, and, and the different things that happened in the last 10 years? Well, you know, this year is the 10th anniversary of the Syrian refugee crisis. So, and 11 years since the revolution started. And Maria and 6 million other Syrians are still displaced and they're not able to return home. Um, sadly, war and forced migration, it's kind of a commonplace right now. We have the Ukrainians before that. We have the Armenians of Artsakh war before that. We have the Afghanis. So I understand that there's a lot of displacement going on around the world and that we need to help everyone. Um, and I just want uh, all of us to remember that the Syrians are still there. Ten years is a very long time to live in a tent in the cold and the mud and hopeless despair, not knowing if there's any hope of ever returning home. Um, on my uh, conversations with, with this group of uh, refugees, um, my, the, the characters in my film, I hear them kind of breaking. They don't have the strength anymore to hope. And, and it's really taking a toll on them. There's one million Syrian refugees just in the back of Valley in Lebanon. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because uh, I, I wanted to, I was thinking about that as you spoke, uh, that you've, you've kept in touch with them. And over this time, how their attitude towards what's happened may have changed. And I guess you were alluding to it there that they have become increasingly reconciled, I suppose, to life never being the same again to some extent. Exactly. Some of them, most of them are now accepting that fact. And with that comes this feeling of giving up hope about life, taking losing joy, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, a sense of being uh, emotionally distraught, uh, depression. It, it's really commonplace. And uh, the sad part is for me seeing all those children uh, that you see in the film and lots of children in the camps that I witnessed seeing them grow up without any schooling, any education. And now they are very sad teenagers. They know that they don't have a homeland. Um, they have no future. They have no education. Um, they're not wanted in any country. I mean, it's a really difficult situation. And we know, of course, that we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago about the situation right now in the Middle East and North Africa, including in Lebanon, specifically in Lebanon, where the economy is in terrible trouble. Uh, the cost of, of, of basic goods has skyrocketed. And I read one quote somewhere that said that if the Le if people in Lebanon are feeling the pain of this, just imagine what it's like for the Syrian refugees there. Exactly. Lebanon is basically broken right now, politically, economically, and banking system has collapsed, hyperinflation. You know, I have family in Lebanon, and I know how difficult it is. They are buying uh, heating oil by the gallon. You know, uh, as soon as it runs out, they have to go get more. There's no medication. 
So they're all suffering. Lebanon was already kind of a problematic country with, with accepting so many Syrians, the highest per capita in the world. Um, it kind of affected and accelerated the downfall. And both groups now, Lebanese and Syrian, are suffering. I, I was Your name is an allusion to it, but, but your family too knew displacement at once, and Lebanon was their sanctuary back when. That's right. That's right. Uh, my heritage is Armenian, and my both my father's family and my mother's family uh, were uh, grandparents were survivors of the Armenian genocide that was committed by the Ottoman Turks in 1915, the first genocide of the 20th century. So they were both old children. They had survived and ended up in orphanages. So um, my dad grew up in a refugee camp in Lebanon, where he was born. Um, and that that city still uh, exists now and has the name Quarantina, which is the bastardized word from quarantine, where all the refugees stay. So it's part of part of my my heritage too. You know, I'm a descendant of refugees of war and genocide, and so I kind of feel that it's my responsibility now that I have the opportunity to learn about, uh, to help all these refugees and tell their stories. I took that as a very serious responsibility. When can we, I know that we can see your film online. Um, when will we be able to see your film in Toronto? The premiere, I understand, is on Saturday. That's right. That's right. And then Hot Dog has, has uh, um, programmed it again on May the 6th at Tiff Lightbox. And they also have online uh, for people who can see it, I believe, across Canada. Well, Nura Kavorkian, thank you so much for your time. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating film. It's one of those remarkable projects that started off as something and became something very different just because history is history and the world works in strange ways and you happen to be there to witness all of it. Congratulations. Uh, and, and congratulations on, on a four-hour project that became a two-hour project as well. <laughs> thank you very much, Ben. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.